So uh, we're in a, a series called Don't Move the Lampstand, which is an odd title for a series. And really, the, the kind of the, the basis of what we're doing is we're trying to answer the question, why are we here and what are we doing? And I, I just want to continue to remind you because the, we have research on this and we know why people are in church. We know why they come. Uh, we know that, uh, I, have, I think I've got this slide there somewhere. We know that uh, 80% of people say they come to church. It's very important that they become closer to God when they come to church. We know that you know, uh, their children need to have a moral foundation. So 69, 70% of people come to church to make sure their kids behave. And it's not working out. We have uh, 68% of people come to church because they want to become a better person. Uh, we know that um, in, tr- uh, in times of trouble and sorrow, 66% of people say it's very important to go to church to find comfort. And it goes on and down, be a part of a community of faith, continue families' religious traditions. I feel obligated to go. I want to meet new people. Uh, if you're you know, single and you're looking for someone to marry, a church is a great place to find one. Not ours, um, because we, we're lacking there. Uh, Ryan's, Ryan, it's okay, buddy. Just wait. She will come. <laughs> uh, but that's, yeah, you go for the singles, that's fun uh, You need to please your family, spouse, or partner Those are uh, 20% and 15% respectively That's why people come to church We saw in the very first week of our, our series that, that really though, the church is actually compared to a lampstand A menorah um, in the, uh, the ancient world That the church is, is actually called, we're, we're called to come because we're supposed to be shining a light, a spotlight on Jesus. We're supposed, that, that's the point. God, God doesn't, I mean, I don't want to say God doesn't care, but it's not, God's number one priority for why you should wake up at 10 o'clock and potentially miss the opening kickoff of playoff weekend, okay? The reason is because Jesus needs to be spotlighted. That Jesus needs to be shined on. And, 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 and that's, that's it. That's what we do. Now, it, it's crazy. What we're going to see and what we're seeing in the, in the series is that stuff follows from that. If we do this, then things follow. And so our, our goal should always be, don't move this landstand. Don't send this over here. Because if that happens, then this won't happen. And if this won't happen, then all of the things that we're seeing are supposed to happen in church also won't happen. And so we're kind of doing a deep dive, is the, that's the, the hot terminology these days, a deep dive into Acts 2, 40 to 47. So let's read our text again, and uh, we'll, we'll focus in on just a couple of places today. With many other words, he, Peter, testified to them and encouraged them, saying, be saved from this sick generation. That's my translation there, um, and go to listen to last week's sermon to understand why. Uh, but really, Peter sees the world as a, as a sick, twisted, bent place. Those who welcomed Peter's message were baptized. God brought about 3,000 people into the community on that day. Then what? The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to their shared meals, and to their prayers. We're going through that um, sequentially, but I do want to highlight the fact that it's not like you start with apostolic teaching, then you devote yourself to the community, then you do shared meals, then you do your prayers. This is all happening at once. It's a big jumble. When the lampstand is properly focused on Jesus, this is the kind of stuff you should see. And we'll jump in deeper in a minute. 
A sense of awe came over everyone. God performed many wonders and signs through the apostles. And all the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and his grace for them was obvious to everybody. What Believer or not believer, they all recognized that something special was happening with these people, that God was, he had favor for them. And the Lord added daily to the community of those who were being saved. I want to... Um, just kind of zero in on a couple of things. So the, the first thing we need to recognize is that Peter has, has just given this long speech and his speech was all about shining the light on Jesus. It was like, Jesus does this, Jesus did that, he fulfills this, you should expect him to do these things. Jesus does it all. Jesus saves, he brings eternal life. He, he, Jesus is the best. He is God's special messenger, he's the one God sent, and we need to be praising him. So Peter has just been just shining the light on Jesus, and immediately what happens is there are some people who welcome Peter's message. And uh, this is a strange word in Greek for the New Testament. Only Luke uses this word. It's apodecami. It's because Luke um, is the best of, he's, he's like the most elegant writer of the Greek of the New Testament. He was obviously classically educated in a way that um, Paul probably wasn't, and certainly not John. Um, he, he's, he has the, the best literary sense. And so he uses this, this word, but it's an odd choice here. Because what this word really means is it's, it's the sort of like when someone shows up at your doorstep, and you, we have the, uh, we, we've got the, the blink, the ring thing. Now, so we don't answer the door anymore. We, I get like a, a message. I'm like, oh, nope, don't want to talk to that person. You know, just text me, friend. Uh, but, uh, you know, back in the day, you used to not know who was there. And so you'd open the door and you would either be like, yes, I'm so glad you're here. Come on in. Or you would be like, oh, okay, give me your spiel. What's it going to be? Is it, I mean, which church do you want me to join? What do you want to sell me? Those are the different types of things that happen when, you know. Now, I am 38, almost 39 years old. Um, and I'm the last generation of people who remembers what it was like to have a wish book. Do you know what a wish book is? I have a picture here. Some of you may be familiar with this. This is from the, the mid-80s. Um, and you can see there's G.I. Joe and Return of the Jedi. What, the, this, um, this wish book, I think this one might be, it might be Sears, I'm not sure, but, but basically back in the day there was no internet. And there was no, uh, and, and there were no big box stores. Like that was just starting to happen in the 80s. So typically when you went to the store to get stuff, there was a lot of things they didn't have. And so what you had to do is you would get these, these catalogs in the mail. Catalogs, I think Sears started the, the catalog business, I think maybe even in the 1800s. And, and really up through the mid-80s, catalogs were the primary way that uh, people bought and purchased odds and ends. Strauss, this is for you, because you don't remember this. You're too young. Nice beard, by the way. Okay. So what you would do is you would flip through the book all year long. And you would see all these amazing things. They have beautiful pictures, children happy, the toy ones that I looked at. And then they would have like little like, uh, like the line items, like a code for each thing that you wanted. And at the back, there would be like something that you would cut out and you would fill in the codes that you want. You add a check and you put an envelope. This is fascinating stuff, Strauss. The Stone Age things were way different. And you put an envelope and a stamp into a mailbox and you'd send it away and you would wait for sometimes two weeks a month. And then 
on that special day, the mailman would come carrying a, a small package. And man, I'm telling you, Strauss, it was the greatest feeling in the world. It's finally here! I've been waiting so long! I remember I think I got a canteen once. It took like two and a half weeks to get there. I thought it was the end of the universe waiting for that thing. And when it arrived, it was like, oh, I'll never be thirsty again! Strauss, what you know is this. Strauss is like, um, yeah, okay. J-Mo, you too. J-Mo, J-Mo, you're not, you're the same deal, okay? You're like, I want something. You go on your phone, you click on it. You're like, what, two-day shipping? Why isn't it one day? Send a drone to my doorstep. So you don't understand what it's like to really wait for something and really enjoy it when it comes. This is the word that Luke is using. He's saying there's all these people, right? And they've been, they're, they're, they're beat down. They're either enslaved to sin or they see religious oppression. They see elites. They see uh, the world brutally damaged, totally corrupt, right? And they're saying, God, would you please do something? Save me. And then Peter comes out and he's like, guess what? Jesus came and if you're, if you, this is the good news. He's done it. He's broken the chains of sin. He's defeated the enemy. He set you free. He brought eternal life. He showed you how to live. It's all there. He, Jesus did it. And the response is, oh, finally. Did you notice that's not, I need, some, I need to be intellectual. I need some arguments. I need to study this. I need to get really familiar. With it. No, no, it's, 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 no, the world just changed. And you're like, thank God. Jesus did it. And that's the moment of salvation. That's when your heart changes. It's not like you're sitting there like, should I or shouldn't I? It just happens. You just believe. You're like, yes. Thank you, God. And that's the first thing in your note sheets. Salvation happens the moment you welcome the good news about Jesus. If you've, if you're a person and you've been like, and maybe you're, you're kind of the outskirts here, maybe you haven't been here for super long, maybe you didn't grow up in the church, maybe uh, you have a different religious background, whatever it is, if you're wondering what it is to be saved, it just, it's just that moment where you, you realize Jesus is the guy. He's the one who saves. He's the one who knows how to live. He's the one who offers eternal life. He is the one who did it all. He redeems and forgives. And as soon as that, you're like, thank you. That's it. You're in. And so what happens? Back to the text. You get baptized. Yeah. Baptism is an interesting thing. Uh, most people who are church people have a tradition of what baptism is. So um, our Roman Catholic friends, for example, they practice baby baptism. right? They uh, christen babies. Um, some of our Reformed uh, friends do the same thing. They, um, they practice uh, baby baptism, believing that that uh, somehow causes the, the child to become a part of what they call the covenant community. That's uh, one thing. Well, some of you maybe are like, baptism, what the heck is that? That sounds like some kind of weird you know, religious mystery. Uh, it, it really isn't. It's not that crazy. It's, it's just the response. When you're like, yes, Jesus is the guy then you show that to everyone by being baptized. 
And there's different ways to do it. Some people, you know, drip water. We, uh, and we're, Gary and I were talking about this morning, we do full immersion. We like, we dunk you. It's super fun. We make sure the water is extra cold. So you're like, ah. So, so that you know something important has happened. Just kidding. We have a heater for the water. Do you see that? We need to use that thing more. This is my pitch. Okay. So we, we and, and what, what that's doing is it's just symbolizing that you've welcomed Jesus' good news. You know that he died and was raised so for, for, to save you from your sins and to bring you eternal life. You're like, yes, I'm, I'm down with that. And it's, you're just, you're just a symbolic action to say, yes, that's, what, that's me. I'm part of the people who recognize that the, the chains have been broken, that the world is different now. I never got good at chess, but I did play a lot when I was a kid. And the reason I, I, I got excited about, my dad taught me, I think, probably when I was maybe six or seven years old. Do you know how long it takes? Who here knows how to play chess? Does everybody kind of get it? If you don't, if you don't know how to play chess, it takes about, really honestly, about 30 minutes to learn the rules. If you're a reasonably savvy adult. Two hours at the most to learn chess. Okay? That's it. That's all it takes. And they say, it's, you know, you can learn it in five minutes, but it takes a lifetime to master. I have not mastered chess, but I have played it, and that's because in the 1980s, late 80s, Interplay brought out Battle Chess. It was a computer program. And the cool thing about Battle Chess, next slide, is that for the first time, they animated all the chess pieces. And it was really cool because um, when you took the other player's piece, there was this awesome violent animation of you, of you like, murdering them. And I loved that. And the thing was, so my father, he's uh, one of you crazy people who likes to wake up early. I hate waking up early. I sleep as much as I can. But my dad would, he'd come into the office. He was a teacher, a school teacher, um, at like, you know, 6 in the morning. He got there at 4.30 in the morning every day. And he brought me. And so I had to wake up at 3.30 in the morning every single day. And I'd walk... It's all true. Everything I'm saying is true. And I would sit there, and it was freezing cold. It was so cold back then. We didn't have enough uh, global warming. So I was, I was freezing my butt off. And, uh, and there was a tiny space heater that he kept to himself. So his feet were warm, and I was shivering, and I had nothing to do. And so he had this old computer, and he bought battle chess. And so I played chess for hours every morning. Just imagine that someone teaches you to play chess. They're like, okay, so the pawn does this, the rook does that, the queen does this. And you're like, mm, okay. And they're like, you want to you try a game? Want to play? You're like, oh, no, no, no. I, I need to read some books. I need to read some books of chess strategy. I need to, I need to really get, because what if I lost? You know, what, what? I don't, I don't want to play the game. I want to learn more about the game. And so you spend all of your time. You never actually play a game of chess. Instead, you just read and read and read and read and read. And you think about it and you're excited about it in some respects, but you never actually sit down and play the game. That is what happens in a lot of modern churches with baptism. There may be some of you out there who have believed for a long time, but you're just not ready to get dunked. You're worried that maybe at some point you won't be into this anymore. You may, maybe you're worried that you're not good enough. You're actually not that great of a Christian. And once you deal with some things in your life, then you'll be ready to say, okay. But what you're doing 
is you've learned the rules of chess, but you refuse to play. God doesn't, he's not waiting for you to become awesome at Christianity. He's not waiting for you to be like, I'm just like Jesus today. He's not waiting for you to figure it all out and have all the teaching understood and all that. All he wants is for you to publicly declare that, yes, I believe Jesus is right. He saves. If that's you, I, 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 let me dunk you. Please, I promise I won't make you drown. I've never killed anyone during a baptism. And and honestly, it'll be an encouragement to the faith of all of us. So we'll see that you too have seen the light. That Jesus is it. That's the next thing here, no cheats. To be baptized, you don't need a PhD. You just need to believe I think I might have changed that so you don't have to master faith. Yeah, you don't have to know everything. You don't have to be awesome at Jesus. You just have to believe. And as soon as you do, let's do this. Now go back to the text and notice the, the thing there. Okay, first the baptism happens. Then all this other stuff. Be, de- devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, the community, shared meals, pr- prayers. You don't, that stuff comes after baptism. Baptism is like, like you just got started. That's like your entrance to the community of faith, saying, hey, these are my people. And then all this other stuff follows. Kind of zero in there on uh, the believers devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. In, uh, in Greek there, teaching is, is the word didache. Didache... Uh, Usually for the New Testament writers, they're, they're thinking about, uh, in the back of their head, they're thinking about the word Torah from, from Hebrew. Torah means uh, law or teaching or instruction. And the way that, that the ancient world worked is you would have, um, the, the, all the Jewish people believed the Old Testament was the Bible. It was like the Jewish Bible, right? They believed that was God's word, God's law, God's instruction. The question was, what did it mean? And so special people got together and they were called rabbis. Rabbis were the teachers of um, ancient Judaism. And they had special understanding of what the Torah meant, the instruction. And the interesting thing that happened was over the years, the rabbis disagreed with each other. And so in Jesus' day, two of the most popular uh, rabbis were Gamaliel and Hillel. In fact, if you're familiar with the, uh, the Apostle Paul, we know that Paul was actually a student of Gamaliel. And we actually have some of Gamaliel's teachings transmitted um, orally and then preserved in the Mishnah. So we know what these rabbis kind of thought about the Old Testament. What happened was Jesus came on the scene and he was treated as a rabbi. He was treated as having the right, complete, full understanding of God's law, the Torah. Jesus got Torah in the way that his contemporaries did not. Jesus understood God and the universe in a way that no one else ever had. But then he got crucified. Then he rose from the dead. But then he went to be with the Father. Jesus left. So what were people to do? 
Well, we know it's recorded in Acts that the his his closest best friends and followers came and they started up a community and all they did was they just did this. They just shined the light on Jesus. They were telling everyone about Jesus. They 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 preached regularly. They shared stories about things that Jesus had done. They interpreted. They tried to understand what that meant. And then over time, some of them began to write down some of that stuff. Some of, uh, their, some of them talked to other people, followers who, who knew them, and then those followers would write things down. In fact, Luke, who wrote Acts, was uh, close to the apostles. He was close to Paul. He knew uh, Peter. He knew uh, he'd been to the Jerusalem church many times. He talked to them. And, and so he, he actually says at the beginning of Luke, I wanted to put together a, a really clear story of what, who Jesus was and what he did. Unfortunately, uh, we live in an age of skepticism. Uh, Bart Ehrman, you may know him. He's like the, do I have Bart? Where's Bart? Bart. Oh, what? Did I not do Bart? Oh, gosh. No, we're not going to talk about Law and Order. Wait, is, what, do I have Bart? Is he on there? Like maybe the third one? There's no Bart? Terrible. I sent you the wrong Okay, well, just imagine that there's a man there who's sort of balding and has like a, like a goatee. Uh, Bart Ehrman was, is the, uh, he's the professor of early Christianity and New Testament at, uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. He, uh, started out his, um, his career as a, he went to Moody Bible College. He was a very conservative, uh, evangelical Christian. And then he kept, uh, going to school and learning stuff. And, and now he's like the, the atheist's favorite Bible scholar. He, uh, he gave up his faith uh, maybe 15 years ago after, you know, 15 years of being a liberal Christian who didn't believe in the resurrection or anything like that. Um, and now he, he writes books that are designed to make Christians, uh, Orthodox Christians, upset. So, like, he, he, and he's made tons of money doing this. It's like when I go to conferences, like, the coolest party is the one that Bart Ehrman is at. Because Bart's like, he's, <laughs> those dumb Christians. And all the, all the skeptics and atheists who teach our, our universities like, just think he's the best. He throws big parties. Uh, I'm not invited, but it's okay. Bart believes that um, the New Testament is basically a bunch of forgeries. He believes that, um, that Paul didn't write all of the letters we attribute to Paul. He believes that uh, the, the New Testament was actually written quite late. Um, he believes a lot of crazy stuff. And what's so weird about it, what's so weird, is that even Bart, even Bart, will admit that that Bible you have in the back of the pew there, the one that you have on your phone, the apps, right? that Bible, is about 95%, maybe even 99% accurate about what the original texts that were written said. I want you to hear this. This guy doesn't believe in anything. But he spent years studying the Bible. And even he will tell you that what you're reading 2,000 some years after the fact is 95 to 99% exactly what the original authors wrote. Now that is a very, very odd thing. 
you have texts that, I mean, weren't, it, it's not as though the authors of Christianity were famous people in their, in their day. They were nobodies. In fact, in, um, in the ancient world, and, the, and we don't even have any mention of Jesus uh, by anybody, an, a, ancient author, until well after he, he was dead. Really, probably not until the second century. In the wider world, no one cared about any of this. It wasn't, this is, what I'm saying, this is different than Plato and Aristotle, those guys. They were famous, and so it was important for people to re- preserve their stuff. These were just random religious zealots, basically, who believed in Jesus and, and wrote stuff about him. And yet, somehow, those writings made, sorry, Bart, 20 to 30 years after Jesus rose from the dead, we have them intact. To such an extent that even the most skeptical scholar will say that 95 to 99% of it is exactly what was written. I don't think it's a coincidence that Christians believe that the Holy Spirit was behind this. That the Holy Spirit was inspiring these people who knew Jesus or knew the ones who knew Jesus to write it all down. And I don't think it's coincidence that it was preserved so carefully for so long. And I wonder, you know, maybe, maybe part of it is that now, you know, I, I haven't, I don't normally like actually open a Bible when I'm studying the Bible. Um, I, because I have computer screens, I, I'm digitally interacting with text. And maybe that's the same thing for you. You have your verse of the day on the phone or whatever. We, it's almost, it's kind of weird. We, we just sort of assume that the Bible's there and it's, it's, yes, it's God's word, whatever. But we, we don't pause to think what a miracle it is. That literally the people who lived with Jesus and, and their, their close associates are the ones who wrote all that down. And we still have it. Isn't it crazy? God didn't have to wait till you know, now text can be preserved. It's not a big deal. It's very easy to do. In the ancient world, it was a massive undertaking. And yet somehow, somehow, we have this. That every single one of us who has internet access can hear what the apostles teach. And did you notice that the people devote themselves to it? I, you know, I, I personally, I, the best part of my week job related is the part where I get to read the Bible. I love the Bible. My job here, in some ways, I, I feel like one of my jobs is to, is to make the Bible exciting and engaging. I want you to, to be excited about it the way I am. Like, I want, I want you to come and, 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 and hear what scripture says and, and see it fresh, see it in a new way. I want you to be like, wow, that's fun, that's exciting, that's neat. I want you to be like immersed in it. That's, that's my goal. But, but here's the thing. It's possible that I might, unlikely, but possible that I might be wrong about some stuff. And who's going to call me out? 
If your diet, if, 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 if your, the time you spend with the apostles teaching is 40 minutes a week listening to me, uh, 80 minutes a month because you skip two Sundays and that's, that's all you get, then you're not going to have any clue as to whether or not I'm telling you the truth. I could be lying through my teeth. I'm not. But I need the community of faith to be just as devoted, just as excited about what the apostles taught as I am. And here's the deal. What, what Luke thinks is if we're doing this and we're really doing and we're getting excited about shining a light on who Jesus is and, who, and what Jesus did, we're going to need the apostles teaching. We're going to thirst for the apostles teaching. We're going to want it. It's going to be exciting. It's going to come alive because we're like, I wonder what Jesus would think about that. Well, let's just find out what Matthew says he thought about that. I'm not sure I understand what the cross is all about. Well, maybe Paul can tell you. And so I, I mean, it's gut check time here. Um, this is the easy one for me. When we continue on this text, there are things that are less easy for me because I love Scripture. I do. Um, but do you? Do you love the Bible? Are you devoted to it? Are you devoted to the teaching of Jesus and his apostles? Because if you're not, that might be an indicator. It might be an indicator that this isn't happening, that in some ways the lampstand's been moved. That really what you're into and interested in and devoted to and excited about is your job, your kids, your family, your hobbies, your leisure time, your bank account. And those are the things that you're shining a light on. This is an opportunity to say, hey, wait. I want to fall in love with this teaching again. Or for the first time. I want to see scripture opened up. I want to see what the people who lived and walked with Jesus himself said about him. And we got some opportunities. Um, You know, Gary uh, leads a CBS group. I think Bill... Also leads CBS group on Monday nights. I know Marilyn has a, a study on, was it Wednesday nights or Thursday nights? Thursday nights. Um, you can come help out with Awana. One of the great things about Awana is that if you teach the kids to learn the Bible verses, you're going to learn them yourself. And if you do that, it's going to shape the way you see the world. It's going to shape the way that you understand God, the universe, yourself, your place in it. And you're going to become attuned to what's true, what's not. But again, it all starts here. We can't move the lampstand. We got to keep making it about Jesus. Marilyn, does this, uh, does this version have the uh, three points at the end? Okay, awesome. Let's do those. Oh, oh yeah, right. I should, you, if you want to fill out the, the, the note sheet. The best way to devote yourself to the apostles' teaching today is to study the book they wrote. 
Very good. Um, all right, so where have we been? Uh, number one, uh, the, these are the these are the, the the things that we've seen. When you when you when you don't move the lampstand, when the lampstand's in place, you're shining the spotlight on Jesus. If we're a community of people who are shining the spotlight on Jesus, what's going to happen? Well, God's going to bring bring people who need to be rescued. That was what we saw um, uh, two, uh, last week. Uh, people who need rescue, people who are sick and tired of, of sin, of corruption, of damage uh, in their own lives and in the lives around them who need the redemption of God. God's going to bring them if you're shining a light on Jesus. Uh, we're not into like just getting a lot of people. We're into getting people who want to be rescued. All right, number two, people welcome Jesus and get baptized. If you have not been baptized and you've welcomed Jesus, let's do it. I don't care how old or young you are. If you welcome Jesus, you will, let's get dunked. It's time to uh, make a public profession. And number three, people get excited about Scripture, the apostles' teaching. If you're not excited about the Bible, then come talk to me. We're going to plug you into a place that will help you get excited about the Bible. Uh, ju- don't just listen to me. Instead, listen to Luke and Paul and, and Matthew and Mark and Peter and James. Do you know James? Do you know who, who James is? Who, does anyone know who James is? Who, who, who can throw that out there? Scott knows. Scott, who's James? Right. Jesus' half-brother. Did you know that Jesus' half-brother was the leader of the Jerusalem church? Jesus' half-brother believed that Jesus was the Messiah from God. What sibling thinks that their sibling is the Messiah from God? If that doesn't make you think that maybe Jesus was pretty special, I don't know what will. In fact, James, uh, James actually, what's that? Do we have that? There you go. And, and not only that, but so James, so all of Jesus' brothers believe, and then James believes so much that he's willing to be tossed, like murdered by the Jewish elites so that he'll shut up about his missing brother. That's awesome. And it's in the Bible. Uh, don't want to beat the sheep. I mean, if, if the Bible's uh, rough for you, don't, don't take this as like, oh, I'm a bad person. I've failed. Dude, we all fail. If you're like, I'm still scared about being baptized, I, it's okay. You should get baptized and you should get over it, but like, this is it. We're, we're not in the, we're not in the, like the, the, you know, we're, I'm not, no one's going to uh, come and get you. All right. Like, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, Hey, we're here and we, and, and, and this is what God's called us to do. And if we're doing these things and if we go for it and we're after it, like then that stuff is going to come too, and it's going to be rad. And so start here, start shining the light on Jesus and the rest of it is going to come. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your son. We praise him. We lift his name high. It's sweet to know him, Lord. God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus, the gift of just trusting him, of welcoming the good news that he's broken the chains of sin and death, that he has redeemed us. He's, he forgives our sins He's the sacrifice that makes us right with you. He's everything, God. He's the bearer of eternal life, and he, and he shows us what it looks like, and he gives it to us in the Spirit. God, I pray that we'll just keep proclaiming that, and that we will see people welcome that message and, and, and seek baptism. 
that we'll see people get pumped about your word. To be able to sit at the feet of the people who were with Jesus and who shared the news and wrote it down. God, it's all about you. It's all about Jesus. We confess that now and we pray that you will keep us in this place from moving the lampstand. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.